Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. Church, stand to your feet. We're going to worship.
Oh my gosh, come on, somebody give God just an amazing praise today. God's presence is so strong today. First and always, through the ages. Come on, church. You're the Alpha and Omega. Ever good to be Jesus, you are everlasting. Ever faithful. Ever faithful. Ever grace, ever love, ever here in this place, ever good. Come on. Jesus, you are everlasting. Come on, first and always, say it again. First and always, through the ages, you're the Alpha and Omega. Ever good to me, Jesus, you are take a second in this moment and just lift up our hands to the Lord. I'm proud of this young guy, the call that's on his life, so I want to invite him to give a huge City of Life welcome to our guest today, Keenan. I'm going to stand up here because he's 6'3". Okay. Well, come on, good morning. How are you doing today? Come on, let's lift it up for Jesus. Let's clap for Jesus this morning. Come on, if he's touched you, if he's redeemed you, if he's done anything in your life, he woke you up this morning. Come on. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Woo! Ooh, yeah. Oh, yes, Lord. Lord, we love you. Lord, we honor you. I come in no other name but the name of Jesus this morning. I come under no authority but the authority of the Holy Ghost this morning. Lord, I thank you that you're going to have your way in this place. We thank you that these next couple moments, Lord, that they would make much of you, much of you. Lord, that we would get caught up in the swirl of what happens when we just behold you. 
Help us to behold you this morning, Lord. We know that when we behold you, it's impossible to remain the same. And it is in the mighty and precious, unstoppable name of Jesus that I pray. Amen, amen. Well, why don't you high-five somebody and find a seat if you can. Come on. I have to say, I am so excited to be in this place, um, as, as Pastor Jeff said. And, and real briefly, before we move on, I know we, we just had a whole moment um, where the entire church honored them. But I just believe that the Bible says that we are to give honor where honor is due. And I was not in charge of that moment. I'm in charge of this moment. So I want to take a moment and just honor your leaders. Come on, can we put our hands together for Pastor Jeff, Pastor Amy this morning? The move of God they are leading here in Florida. Let's go. Generational. There's a generational anointing on this house. And listen to me, this is the kind of house you want to grow and raise your family in. A, ge- a house that understands generational blessing and generational, generational anointing is the kind of house you want your children coming up in. And it's honestly the kind of house you want to take your last breath in. And so listen to me, I don't care where you find yourself on the landscape of life and the landscape of religion or whatever you would want to call it, get plugged in here, get rooted here. Just in our little time of knowing one another, I know it's true of both of them. They are people who are dedicated to the truth of the gospel. And our God always saves the best for last. The greatest moves of God in the, the earth has ever seen have not happened yet. They've not happened. What if we were to rise up and take our part? We're, what if we were to rise up and say, God, would you dare to use, would you dare to use a little spot like this in Kissimmee, Florida? Would you dare to start something here, God, that doesn't stay here but changes here? I believe, I, listen to me, I genuinely believe this is not just me saying nice things because I'm the guest speaker. I genuinely believe that you guys are on the precipice of something incredible. Listen to the songs that are coming out of this place. Every song that was sang today is, a, is an original to this house. God is birthing something here. And you're privileged. You are privileged to be a part of it. Come on, one more time. Put your hands together for them. Amen. Amen. Real briefly, hey, my name is, is Keenan Clark. I am um, from San Angelo, Texas. Uh, it's totally fine that you've never heard of it. Again, as Pastor said, we are the largest city in Texas, not on an interstate. Um, so I'm, I'm there. I'm the young adult pastor at an incredible church called Celebration Church. Um, this January, though, my wife and I are moving to Franklin, Tennessee, ironically, 20 minutes from Noah Heron, um, right outside the city of Nashville. Noah and I are really great friends, but... Um, Right outside the city of Nashville, we are moving to help plant a church called Risen Nation, uh, be a part of a movement called Habitation, and also have the privilege of getting to travel uh, all over God's good green earth and uh, preach his glorious gospel. So we are excited over the next couple months. uh, Our life is going to change drastically, but the Lord is all over it, and we could not be... uh, could not be more excited for what he has. But I am so honored. Listen to me. I am so honored to be in this house today. And I've got a word on my, on my heart this morning. Is it okay if I just bring it like I feel it? Can I just be myself this morning? Is that totally fine? Like, 
I don't know. I don't know who else to be. So it would be weird if I've just got to try some different things out. So I'll just be me. If you have a Bible this morning, if you have a Bible, Revival Sundays. I want you to go to John chapter two. John chapter two, and we'll begin reading in the middle of the chapter at verse thirteen. John chapter two. Just feels better if you do it that way. There it is. It's like there it is. There it is. I just kind of did some vibrato. That's all I did. John chapter 2, stalling for you. John chapter 2, verse 13 says this. When it was almost time for the Jewish uh, Passover festival, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. And he scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said this, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. Listen to this verse. This is the verse I've read. Everything I have read thus far to get to this point. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for the house of the Lord will consume me. Zeal for your house will consume me. Obviously, in this moment, Jesus is having a whole moment. Jesus is in the middle of a very seemingly un-Jesus-y moment. Jesus has come up into the temple, and what he has found in the temple has invoked a certain emotion on the inside of Jesus. An emotion we don't really get privy to many times outside of John chapter 2. Jesus comes up in the temple and what he finds invokes obvious, tangible, visible zeal on the inside of him. And it was so apparent the disciples watching Jesus said, zeal for the house of the Lord has consumed Jesus. It said they remembered it had been written. Now, where it had been written, where they had read it before, was Psalm 69 and verse 9. Psalm 69 verse 9 prophesied that one of the markers of the Messiah, one of the telltale signs, one of the blues clues, if you will, that would give him away was going to be visible, tangible zeal For the house of the Lord, and it would be obvious to everyone who saw in that moment. And the disciples watching Jesus live his life took note, zeal for the house of God has consumed him. What I'm trying to get you to understand this morning is Jesus did not have to go, hey, hey guys, come here, come here, come here. You know what's been happening in my quiet time? I just feel like zeal. Come on, somebody. I feel like zeal for the house of God. Woo, brother, has consumed me. No, he didn't have to advertise it. He lived his life, and what was apparent to the onlooker about Jesus' life is zeal for the house of God had consumed him. The disciples took note, and I'll be honest with you, this is an incredible passage of scripture. I have been mulling over it for some time, but can I be honest? It is problematic for me. John chapter 2 has been a rock in my shoe for some time now. John chapter 2 has been bothering me. 
And the reason it is bothering me is because I have good theology. I've got good theology. And my good theology tells me this, that because I am now, as Paul would put it, hidden in Christ, anything that is true about Jesus is supposed to be true about me. My good theology tells me that because I am now hidden in Christ, seated with him in heavenly places, because I am hidden in him, anything that's true about him is supposed to be true about me. And though it is painstakingly obvious here in John chapter 2 that zeal for the house of the Lord had consumed Jesus, I don't always find it consuming me. Like That's my problem. That's the disparity here. As though I find it so obvious in Jesus, Jesus moved in this zeal that inspired people who saw it, that convicted people who were on the receiving end of it. I don't always find zeal consuming me. You know, my wife and I have the ridiculous privilege of getting to travel all over the country and see what God is doing in various church services. I mean, we travel every single week. We are in a different setting. We're in a different church service. I feel like I have a pretty good idea of what the pulse is that God is doing. And you know what I find? I find a lot of drive. I go a lot of places and I see a lot of drive. In our neck of the woods, if you're in ministry, I see a lot of drive to build a great ministry. Build a slick brand. Build something the masses want to be a part of. See a lot of drive in the church pew as well. People who occupy it. That I want to come to the house of God for what I can get out of the house of God. I want to come to the house of God because if I can get God on my side, if I could ever just get to get God to rubber stamp my idea, if I could get him to kind of get behind my plans and get his Holy Ghost anointing on the other side of what I want to do, I'd be unstoppable. I see a lot of drive. I see a lot of inspiration. I have scarcely found very much zeal. And my question this morning is Because you could be tempted to go, Keenan, this is John chapter 2. This is 2,000 years ago. This is just one little moment. You're kind of making a mountain out of the molehill. No, I'm not. Because my Bible says this, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So it wasn't just 2,000 years ago that zeal in a moment caught up Jesus and consumed him. My Bible says he's the same, which means though he is now seated at the right hand of the Father, zeal for the Father's house... Is still consuming him. And what I'm, I'm problemed with and what I'm puzzled with and what I'm confronted with is why does it not seem to be completely and totally consuming us? Why? Why have we not found a zeal that consumes? You know what the antidote for burnout is? It's a thing called zeal. It's zeal. See a lot of people who sign up to follow Jesus and two years later they deconstructed and now identify as an ex-evangelical. You know why? Because they got inspired in a service, but they never tapped into zeal. And I believe in this day and age, what's gonna keep you is something called zeal. And I'm wondering, where's the zeal for his house? Why have we not been consumed? A couple years ago, I had gotten invited to preach 
at an event in my hometown. I was going to emcee this event. I was going to be coming out in between the various guests. I was introducing different artists, and there were going to be thousands of people there. It was going to be a very long day, a full event. And I remember at that day of the event, I woke up, and I had this massive brain fog. Like, ever had brain fog? Like, I could not figure, I mean, I couldn't do two plus two, which is, I mean, it's easy. You put 22, put them together, right? Like, everybody knows that. I'm not a mathematician, but I was having this massive brain fog. All, all of a sudden, I also just felt completely lethargic. You ever been, been lethargic? You just woke up and just felt like just there's zero pep in your step, okay? You ran out of gas somewhere in the night, okay? That's the way I felt. And I also just had a really hard time um, articulating and communicating this morning. So I, I'm sitting there like, this, this is a problem. I'm about to be in front of thousands of people. I've got brain fog. I feel lethargic, and I can't communicate. This is not going to go well. So I sat there, and I began to troubleshoot. Right, like what could be the issue? And I'm sitting there and I'm going through, what all could it be? What could be, what could this be? And my estimation after my troubleshooting led me to believe I was under a spiritual attack. That's what I felt. I was like, I must be under a spiritual attack. I said, Satan, I bind thee. I started using King James. Okay, I'm, I'm pulling out the stuff. I'm like, I bind the, I will, I will bind up the strong man. You know, I'm just saying all the stuff the Bible tells me to say. I'm calling Satan every name I know, okay? Biblical name that I know. I'm not like getting, you didn't have to like put the American Idol symbol over my mouth, all right? Like you didn't have to bleep me, all right? But I'm, call, I'm going after the devil. So I start binding the devil. I'm, I'm going after every power, principality, spiritual wickedness in high places. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6 gave me a list and I'm using it, okay? I'm using it. I'm going after the devil, and I remember as I'm sitting there binding the devil, I felt the Lord tap me on the shoulder. I mean, he didn't literally tap me on the shoulder, but you get the sentiment. He got my attention, and I felt like the Lord said this. In the middle of me binding the devil, I felt like the Lord said, Keenan, it's not a demon. Like, Keenan, like, I love your enthusiasm, but Keenan, it, it, it's not the devil. You're dehydrated. And all of a sudden, like literally, that's what I heard. Like in a moment, I was like, I swear it's the devil. And all of a sudden, I was like, I'm dehydrated. Whoa, okay, that's what it is. And in that moment, all of a sudden, I realized that over the last three days, I had consumed nothing but caffeine. I drank coffee after coffee after coffee. When I was done with coffee, I switched to Coke Zero because that's what men of God drink when they're done with their coffee. Bless God. I had consumed no water. And what I'm trying to get you to see is the way I felt was directly connected to what I had not been consuming. You see, where it would have been easy to blame what was happening on, a t on an attack, the real culprit was my own neglect. And I think many of us in the church, we get to these places where we don't have the pep in our step we used to, we're not as excited about the things of God as we were at one time. Revival Sundays has come and gone, and it is now that we're darkening the doorstep of a brand new year. We're looking at a bank account that has been depleted by our love for people at Christmas. And we go, where's the zeal? The devil must be after me. Maybe it's not the devil. Maybe it's not always the enemy. Maybe it's just sometimes the you and me. Like, what if you and I are getting in our own way? It wasn't an attack, it was neglect. And here's the word the Lord gave me. This is, I, I mean, it, when he gave it to me, it hit me 
so hard and I'm praying it hits you. The reason you are not consumed like we see Jesus here in John chapter 2 is because of what you have neglected to consume. The reason you are not consumed is because of what you and I have neglected or maybe never even been offered to consume. Because a lot of the time, we can sit here and think, you know, if I need to find zeal, the reason I haven't had any zeal is because I ain't been watching enough good preaching. I ain't been watching enough good preaching. So I got I to gotta go find me a good Instagram preacher. I got to go find me a good YouTube preacher. Or I need to get back over to City of Life, and I got to watch Pastor Jeff. He's full of zeal, which he absolutely is. And we think that the answer to our lack of zeal is to sit there and watch someone else. And I do think that those moments are helpful. But listen to me. My Bible in Psalm 34 verse 8 does not say, see that the Lord is good. It says, taste and see. That the Lord is good. It does more. You got. It takes more than just looking at it. It takes more than just being around it. You've got to consume it. He is consumed by a zeal for the Father's house. Not because he watched a bunch of good preaching. Not because he made an incredible movie. But because something has gotten on the inside of him. It takes more than just seeing it. Can I tell you right now? The disciples in John chapter 2 are proof. It takes more than just seeing it. Because the disciples are the one in John chapter 2 who go, whoa! Zeal for the house of God has consumed Jesus. Like they see it. And no doubt, though they see zeal upon Jesus, they are inspired. They leave there with a vision of the men that they'd like to be. They are inspired by it in a moment. You keep reading the book of John. They can't find zeal to save their life. Though they see it in John chapter 2, they are inspired without a doubt. They want to be men of zeal. Though they saw it in Jesus and see it every single day they wake up, they still can't find it. I'll take it a step further. It's not just the disciples at random. Let's talk about Peter. Peter. Peter is no doubt in this ragtag group of guys who are like, wow, my early rabbinical teachings taught me that Psalm 69, verse 9, you know the chapters and verses hadn't been added, but you get the drift. Okay, my early rabbinical teachings taught me that one of the markers of the Messiah would be zeal. Wow. Peter's no doubt one of those guys. You keep following. (laughs) You keep following Peter around. Those zeal inspired him in this moment. Peter can't find his own zeal to save his life. Fast forward to the end of the book. Peter and the other disciples are sitting around this table. It's called the Last Supper. And Jesus begins to prophesy as to what is about to take place. And he says, guys, um, some stuff's about to happen. And when it does, uh, y'all are going to leave. I'll just put it plainly. Y'all will leave. And Peter pipes up, you know, the loudmouth disciple. You know, he loves to talk. He loves the sound of his own voice. He's constantly having to stick his foot in his mouth. You know, he just loves the taste of sandal in the morning, right? <laughs> Peter pipes up and he says, not me. He's like, all these guys will leave. I've seen them, Jesus. They're chumps. They will for sure leave. Um, Not me. And Jesus has the nerve, gall, and audacity to look at Peter. And he says, Peter, my man, not only are you going to leave, but you will deny me three whole times. Peter pipes up again. And he says, Jesus, I would rather die with you 
than to deny you. Like, put a fourth cross up on the hill of Golgotha and staple me to it. I would rather die with you than to deny you. And no doubt, you know, the rest of the disciples, like Philip and Bartholomew, they hardly get any screen time. They're sitting there. Dude! Peter's got the zeal. Like, you hear what Peter just said. I would rather die with you than deny you. They're like, whoa, Peter got it, man. Peter looks like a man marked by zeal in this moment. Fast forward one hour. Peter is standing around a campfire, having left Jesus, sitting around a campfire, and not only does Peter deny Jesus three times, the Bible tells us one of the people he denied him to. And the Bible tells you one of the people Peter denied Jesus to was a servant girl. This is the equivalent of a junior high girl. All of a sudden, Peter's warming himself by a fire. There's a junior high girl there amongst other people. And the junior high girl goes, wait, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? And Peter goes, I know not the man you speak of. Like, how do you even pronounce that name? Jesus? Like, I never heard it. Love you, my man. I told Pastor Jeff, you got Jesus on your staff. Like, your church is blessed. It's like, never heard of the man before. Notice, Peter in this moment isn't consumed with enough zeal to stand up to a junior high girl. Though an hour ago, he talked real big. In this moment, he is not consumed with enough zeal to stand up to a junior high girl. And this is just one little thing I want to point out to you. Counterfeit zeal will always lead us to mislead the next generation. We wonder why we have a generation of kids who don't want anything to do with the house of God. It's because we've been offering, offer, operating in counterfeit zeal for far too long. And they're fed up with it. We'll always mislead the next generation. But Peter doesn't have enough zeal to stand up to a little girl. Peter in this mo- moment has the moral backbone of a chocolate eclair. I mean, there ain't no backbone in there. It's just pudding, man. Just straight, straight pudding, man. Peter has no backbone. And though it would be easy, listen to me, to make a shrine out of this moment in Peter's life, to make a a mountain out of this moment in Peter's life, can I tell you, that's not the last moment the Bible tells us about Peter. Because the Bible says, though Peter in this moment couldn't stand up to a junior high girl, you fast forward the clock 50 days. 50 days from that moment. You fast forward the clock just, that's not even two months. Fast forward the clock, 50 days, and all of a sudden we find Peter standing in front of a a crowd of people and preaching a message with such zeal, such passion, such conviction that 3,000 people get saved and are added to the church that day. Peter all of a sudden finds the zeal. Whereas Peter couldn't stand up to a junior high girl, all of a sudden he is standing up in front of men and women who just crucified his Lord. He has seen where talking like this will get you. And he is boldly decreeing and declaring, though none go with me, still I will follow. And my question is, I look at these two moments in Peter's life. I look at him here and he can't stand up to a junior high girl. And then you fast forward just 50 days. And he looks drastically different. He is now the man he wished he had been back then. But he couldn't access it. And my question is, what the heck happened? Like, what what happened to Peter? 
Somewhere between not being able to stand up to the person it would have been easy to stand up to and standing up in a place most of us would have been begging to sit down. What happened? Can I tell you what happened to Peter? He got a taste of something Acts chapter 2 calls new wine. Peter got a taste of something called new wine. Can I remind you this morning that what you and I are a part of in the church of Jesus Christ was not started on the backs and the shoulders of a bunch of theologians with PhDs who bounced out of their seminary and then went in the highways and byways and started, uh, you know, educating people. This was not started by theologians. You know who it was started by? It was started by men the Bible called unlearned. That means they knew nothing. But these unlearned men got around Jesus, obeyed him, got in this place called the upper room, and said, God, we're going to wait until you show up. And God allowed something called the Holy Ghost to fall on that room. And they bounced out of there looking drastically different than they had when they walked in. I'm here to tell you, this new wine is something called the Holy Ghost. It's something called the Holy Spirit. What I'm telling you this morning is the only reason you haven't been able to access zeal is because you have forsaken to consume the new wine. We need the new wine. We need the Holy Spirit. I'm trying to tell you, you need a fresh touch. You need a fresh touch. And some of you, I feel it this morning. I felt it on the way over here. You have been operating on old wine for a long time. It's not just new wine that is a metaphor for the Holy Spirit. It's also this idea of oil, as Pastor Jesus pointed out in, in, in 2 Kings chapter 5. It's this idea of oil. And I felt the Lord say, when was the last time you changed your oil? Like you've been operating on the same thing and getting the same result and coming away no different over and over and over. I'm here to tell you this morning, what our generation needs is not a bunch of one-liners. It's not a bunch of slick marketing. It's not a more Instagram preaching. What they need is some people who are filled with the new wine, who know who they are in Christ and say, I may have been something 50 days ago, but baby, something has gotten up on the inside of me. I have consumed something. I have been consumed by something. I'm telling you right now, oh man, we don't want to freak people out. And that's our problem. Is when we aim more on not freaking people out, we forsake our power. Because what separates this from a TED Talk and what separates this from any other you know, philanthropic organization is the fact that we've been given access to something called new wine. We've been given something called the Holy Spirit. And I came all this way from Texas to ask you this simple question. When was the last time you asked God for a fresh filling of the new wine? Because our problem is this, is we think that only men like me and Pastor Jet, yeah, y'all, y'all need, y'all need a fresh touch. Y'all need the new wine. I'm here to tell you. If you are aiming to be anything God's called you to be, it, you are powerless to do it without the new one. Can I tell you this morning, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'm going to say it right now. The Holy Spirit wants to teach you how to do business. 
the Holy Spirit will take you through an education Harvard, Stanford, and any other Ivy League could never give you. And all of a sudden, something you would have had to slave away at a desk learning from a man who was trying to cram his secular humanism down your throat, you can say, I'm going to forego that, and I'm going to just go ahead and get on my knees and ask God, say, God, would you teach me how to be the man you put me on this earth to be? I can get an education from the spirit no other man could ever give me. I've got food to eat you know not of. This is what you need, mom and dad. This is what your kids need. Not to learn the new latest tactic on raising decent human beings. And, and I'm not trying to throw shade. Hear my heart when I say this. I think there are plenty of times that this is needed. But not just another medication to put them on. To try to just get them to calm down because you want to be able to have a, a decent night. You know what they need? They need the Holy Ghost. They need a parent who is full of the new wine and is able to decipher and discern. You've got the discerning of spirits. And you say, I know that this may be, this in particularly needs to be addressed by a doctor. But you know what? This in particular needs to be addressed by a pastor. We, we need to lay hands. We need to lay hands on you. I'm telling you, you need the Holy Spirit. I need a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit. Just two weeks ago, my wife and I have been in a very busy ministry schedule here lately. I told you we're in a different space and place every week while we're still trying to lead our ministry and figure out how we're going to move. It's been very busy. I've been out of my normal routine is what I'm trying to say. And I remember all of a sudden, two weeks ago, I was, I had been in a we had been on this trip, and I got up and preached, and hundreds got saved. I mean, the altar was packed. We were praying, prophesying over people, releasing prophetic words. It was insane. But the whole time I did it, I did not feel the Lord one time. I remember I got off, and I was thankful for what the Lord did, because the Lord will move even when you don't feel him. But I told my wife, I said, babe, like, I did all of that. I ministered. The God was obviously there, but I couldn't feel him. And I just felt like, I honestly felt like an imposter. I felt this weight come over me. And I realized, I said, man, like, we've been so busy on the road. I only open up my mouth to talk to God when I am asking him to bless what I'm about to say. And I realized that for the last two weeks, every time I had prayed, I was like, God, and I was praying sincere prayers. I was praying, like, God, you're the difference maker. Let them not see me, let them see you. But everything I asked God to do had to do with what I was about to try to get done for him. And I had forsaken those moments of just alone time with the alone. And I remember I got, I got home and I told my wife, I said, babe, like normally we go to bed together. But I told my wife, I said, babe, I need to stay up for a second. Like, I just feel like an imposter. I just feel like we've got so many more places to go and I'm afraid like God's not going to be there. I don't like this. I don't like the way I feel. And I remember Beth went to bed. And this is two weeks ago. I remember I got down on my knees in my son's room. He doesn't sleep in there, so it didn't bother him. <laughs> I got down on my knees at 1 a.m. And I remember I just started. I said, I said, I repent. I repent. I said, God, I repent for trying to do what you've called me to do in my own strength. 
I repent for leaning on my gifts and leaning on this thing of like, oh, God, that means God will bring everyone. He'll be there. God, I don't want you. I don't want to settle for your omnipresence. I want your manifest. I want your manifest presence, God. That's what this generation needs. They need the manifest presence of God. And I say, God, I repent for letting a busy ministry schedule keep me from spending my own time in your word. And would you believe, as I just said, I was not asking God for a new sermon. I wasn't asking God for anything. I wasn't asking God for a double portion, nothing. I just sat there and said, God, I, I repent. I love Jesus with all of my heart. I sat there and I repented. And would you believe, as I said those words to the Lord, no one around, no ask of him, the guilt, the shame, the weight, the imposter syndrome fell off of me and melted into the floor. And the word of a lie on the other side of that moment, I got this whole sermon literally downloaded to me. I know that sounds weird to say, but on the other side of a moment of 1 a.m. crying out and repenting for the way I had forsaken him. I knew he hadn't forsaken me, but I had forsaken him. God breathed this whole word in my heart. And what I'm trying, I'm trying to be vulnerable this morning. I'm trying to show you that this was not, hey, when I was 13, I got filled with the Holy Ghost. And I'm, I'm trying to be honest. And yes, I got, I had, I've been touched my whole life. But I needed a fresh touch two weeks ago. And I had, I had, as a preacher, had to get on my knees and say, God, I repent for doing ministry in my own strength. And I'm wondering if there's some parents in here this morning, if there's some business owners in here this morning, who God is asking you, would you get on your knees? And would you ask me for a fresh touch? Would you stop settling for the fact that the gift and call of God are without repentance? The gift and the call of God may be without repentance, but only new wine shows up on the other side of genuine repentance. And I'm wondering if there's somebody in here this morning that you'd say, I need a fresh touch. I need a fresh touch from the Lord. I need God to come and do for me what I can't do. Somebody in here, I feel this so strong right now. You're battling lust like crazy. It's like this claw in your mind, and you need a fresh touch from God where the hand of God comes and grabs that satanic claw, and it pulls it out of your brain once and for all. It quits making your mind go to these weird scenarios that you know you are not responsible for. You know what you need? You need the new wine. You need a fresh touch. You need the anointing. When, have we, when did we become a people who thought that we could do the will of God without the God of the will? And I felt the Lord say, Keenan, I had a whole other message I was going to preach. And on the plane yesterday, the Lord wrecked me and said, you need to preach about new wine. And I said, okay. And like, not, as a preacher, I get nervous about these things. Like, I'm going to come up here and I'm going to be like, hey, y'all need the new wine. And somebody will be like, what in the world is he talking about? Like, I know you guys are, are steeped in this stuff, so I'm not that worried about y'all. But there'll be some places I'm like, I'm about to get up there, and I'm about to tell a bunch of these people they need to get filled with new wine. And I'm running the risk that I could majorly just confuse you. You could leave here going, what the heck? What's he talking about? I ain't never heard nothing like this. Is he saying, like, we need to go and get drunk? We need to go and get inebriated? I'm not talking about real wine, folks. I ain't talking about real wine. Because you know what Peter said? The onlookers of what happened in Acts chapter 2, they said, and they said it mockingly, these guys 
are filled with new wine. And Peter has to say, they are not drunk as you suppose. Meaning, they're not drunk in natural ramifications. They've not been sucking on real wine. But what they have been given, let me take it a step further. It isn't just new wine. But this is that that the prophet Joel prophesied about. When he said, in the last days, God would begin to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. And that the sons and daughters of God would begin to prophesy. Peter says this new wine is the Holy Spirit. That's what it is. It's the difference maker. I'm not talking about getting real, actually drunk here. I'm talking about what it is like to be filled with the Spirit. Have you ever seen somebody who's been sucking on a little too much real wine? You know what they become? Bold. I mean, they get filled with a zeal. They didn't walk into this party with. And here's the problem. Most of the time, natural wine leads to boldness, but it's coupled with stupidity. Here's the, here's the truth, though. With the spirit, it's the same but opposite. You get a zeal. You get a boldness, but it's coupled with a spirit called the spirit of wisdom. And all of a sudden, you have a clarity, you have an unction, you have a knowing that you did not have a moment ago. And the Lord begins to speak to you and show you. And you're able to do things you have no business being able to do according to your natural education. I'm talking about getting filled with new wine this morning. But our problem is this, is we don't know what to do with this thing called the Holy Spirit. Because in our understanding, we're like, yo, I understand this concept of a father. And I understand like a son. But the spirit, I don't know about all that. Like, I don't know. And what happens, and thank God it's not true of this church. It is not. But what happens is we, either as a body of Christ, as churches, or even as families, because we don't know what to do with the spirit, we end up putting the spirit in a cage. They say, I don't know what to do with all that. Let's just, I get it's important, but let's just stick it in a cage. Which brings me back to John chapter 2. Think about it. Jesus walks into the temple in John chapter 2, and when he looks around, he sees oxen, cattle, and doves. That's what your Bible says. He sees oxen, cattle, and the one bird it draws your attention to is doves. And these church leaders are being able to keep these doves from flying away. How are they doing it? They've stuffed them in a cage. Can you, can you get the middle picture of what Jesus walked in and saw? He walked in to the church. And what he sees is that the church leaders have relegated the dove to a cage and are now just equating the dove's value to how much money can we squeeze out of the dove? How much money is the dove worth? Yeah, let's sell off the dove and get a better LED screen. Let's sell off the dove and get a little bit more time online. Let's sell off the dove and hire three more staff members. I'm all for staff members, but nobody can replace the third member of the Trinity. I'm here to say two-thirds is not enough. We need the Holy Ghost. And I'm wondering this morning if maybe you, in your own family, have relegated the dove to a cage. Here it is, it gets deeper. Because this is John chapter 2, verse 13. Meaning we're jumping in in the middle of the chapter. You know how the chapter starts? Right before we have this moment where Jesus steps into obvious zeal. You know what John chapter 2 starts with? The wedding at Cana. The wedding of Cana is famous because that's where Jesus turned water into new wine. 
you can't make this stuff up, folks. This is the way your Bible reads. And on the other side of taking what was once watered down and turning it into new wine, zeal for the house of God obviously consumes Jesus. You know what this is saying? If you allow Jesus to take what was once watered down and make it new wine, zeal will consume you again. You won't settle for the things everyone else has settled for. You won't relegate God to the things everyone else relegates God to. You'll begin to be used by the Lord to begin to reset the system. To recalibrate this thing. I really do believe this, that John 2 is a prophetic picture of Acts chapter 2. You get new wine and zeal shows up. Peter got new wine, zeal. And he never backed off the gas. But our problem is we put the dove in a cage. And right now, this is where I begin to land the plane. I'm going to begin to wind down right now. I've already yelled at you enough. If I could have somebody come and play quietly, it will pressure me to close. Because real briefly, there's a moment. This is so powerful. Please don't miss this. There's a moment in 1 Kings 21 where a dramatic portrait of this takes place in the Old Testament. In 1 Kings 21... Well, I'll go ahead and read it to you. It says this, beginning at verse 1. Now Naboth, Naboth, that is the man we are looking at this morning. Now Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard, a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Let me just pause real quick. Ahab, not a good guy. Ahab is an evil and wicked king, married to a far more evil and maniacal woman by the name of Jezebel. This woman is so evil, there's an evil spirit named after her. <laughs> called the spirit of Jezebel. It's a real thing. And all of a sudden we see that Naboth owns a vineyard located right next to the palace of King Ahab. Let's keep reading. After this, Ahab said to Naboth, give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden because it is near my house. And I will give you a better vineyard for it. Or if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. But Naboth, whoo, oh, I like this. Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. And Ahab went to his house vexed and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. So let me break this down for you. In this moment, this man named Naboth owns a vineyard. What am I preaching this morning? I'm preaching about our need for new wine. What's the purpose of a vineyard but for new wine? Naboth owns a vineyard and Ahab, the enemy, comes up to Naboth and says, Hey, I want your vineyard. Give me your vineyard. And notice Ahab's reasoning for desiring Naboth's vineyard. He says, it's conveniently located right next to my palace. Th that's why Ahab wanted the vineyard, because of convenience. And if that is not a picture of what the enemy is constantly doing, I don't know what is. Coming and saying, hey, give me your, vi vin your vineyard, and I'll make things convenient. We trade our vineyard for convenience. 
And this is what has happened in the American church. Again, I'm not saying this is true of your church. This is a good church where people are preaching the whole counsel of the word of God, not just the stuff that makes you feel good. They are reminding you the head and not the tail above, not beneath. But there's also some scriptures that don't just give you a Holy Ghost goosebump, but they send a shiver down your spine. And I know this man is preaching all of it. But many have traded their vineyard to make things a little more convenient. And what we've done is we've tried in our efforts to not put stumbling blocks in front of people. We've tried to make following Jesus as convenient as possible. So we've removed some of the blocks. You know, some of those blocks called prayer. Some of the blocks called fasting. Some of the blocks called the move of the spirit, the new wine. We don't want to freak anyone out. We don't want to try to be religious and all that. So let's just move some of this. Let's make it convenient. And we expect to grow big people using convenience. You will never be consumed by zeal while you are still worshiping at the altar of convenience. Can I tell you what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit? He said one of the Holy Spirit's names is the Comforter. You know why God had to give you someone called the Comforter? Because the places he will lead you are not comfortable. So God says, I know where I'm taking you, so you're going to need this person called the comforter. You're going to have to get filled with this person, this new wine, who will bring a comfort. The environments I will lead you into will not give you. But we expect following Jesus needs to be convenient. How quickly, how, how, how might I might microwave this thing and get where I need to be? Give me your vineyard for convenience. And notice this, it gets worse. Ahab says what he's going to do once he gets the vineyard. He says, I'll take your vineyard, and I'm going to make it a vegetable garden. Not even just going to remain a vineyard. It's going to be a vegetable garden. And here's the problem. Where we once were people marked by obvious new wine and a touch of God, we now more so look like vegetables. Couch potatoes. How quickly might I get this? How can I sit by and, and let God just kind of do all the heavy lifting, do all the work? Now, God is the one who gets it done. Paul planted Apollos water, but it was God who caused the growth. I'm not trying to act like you can make anything happen, but you sometimes need to do your favor some favors. You got to work with the favor of God on your life. Paul said this, when I got the grace of God, I didn't become lazy. In fact, I worked harder. That's what Paul says. I worked even harder with the grace of God on my life. Why? Because zeal came upon me. I wasn't doing it out of some weird need to perform. I wasn't doing it to try to get something from God. I realized he already gave it to me. So how can I take my foot off the gas when he has all gone all in on me? But where we once were people marked by new wine, where we once had a vineyard, we now more look like vegetables. Let's be page. Let's be plain. Let's just try to be helpful. People don't need to be helpful. They need to be intoxicated by the Spirit of God. That's what they need. They need a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit. And you know how this story ends? I promise I'm running out of time. I'm going to end right here. You know how Naboth's story ends? He refuses to fork over the vineyard. And Jezebel, the evil queen, she gets word of this. And she gets all the way hacked. And she begins to devise a plan, and she devises a plan that these two worthless men, your Bible says, worthless men, are hired by Jezebel to throw and hurl a false accusation against Naboth. And so they sit across the table from Naboth. Can I tell you what 
what this means? When you get full of the new wine, people have to make up stuff about you in order to get you canceled. When you get full of the new wine, all of a sudden you are walking in an integrity. People will have to literally get use their creative capacity to try to find fault with you. They hurl this false accusation against Naboth. And you know what happens to Naboth on the other side of this false accusation? He gets stoned to death. Naboth dies. And it's easy in this moment. This, this passage is so powerful. First Kings 21. I sat there and I said, man, this is so powerful. Why is it got to end this way? And all of a sudden I realized this is the appropriate way for it to end. Because what you need to understand this morning is there are some vineyards worth dying for. There are some vineyards worth dying for. There are some hills worth dying on. Can I tell you right now, there's a hill called Calvary that's worth dying on. There's someone called the Holy Spirit that his presence in the earth, it's worth dying on. It's worth getting canceled. It's worth getting written off over. There are some hills worth dying on. There are some things worth not backing off the gas. There are some things worth being consumed with a zeal. I feel the Lord is inviting you this morning into a place of new wine, into a place of being becoming consumed with that which will lead you to becoming consumed. And right now with every head bowed and every eye closed, just for a moment of privacy and concentration, if you would say, Keenan, you're preaching to me this morning, you're preaching to me, you're preaching to me. If you'd say, Keenan, maybe you're saying, Keenan, I need to get saved. Keenan, I've not just, I'm not, I'm not just sitting here not filled. I've not even been forgiven yet. And maybe this morning you need the forgiveness of all your sins. That repentance I talked about needs to come and sweep over you for the first time. Or maybe you would say, Keenan, I'm, I'm a Christian in here, but I've been operating on old wine, old oil for far too long. I need a fresh touch from God. I need a fresh filling of his presence. I need the new wine this morning. If that's you, either category, would you just raise your hand right now and I'm going to pray for you. Come on, raise your hand right now. If that's you, raise your hand right now. Praise God. A revival of zeal is taking place in this church today. Come on, raise it high. Come on, be zealous about this thing. An act of zeal, an act of repentance, an act of saying, God, though none go with me, still I will follow. Come on, raise your hands to heaven. Father, I thank you right now for every hand that is raised to heaven because that hand represents a heart. It represents a bloodline. It represents a family that is saying yes to you. And God, I'm asking right now for a torrential downpour of your spirit. God, for the new wine to come and consume them yet again. Lord, I thank you that old wineskins begin to fall away. Lord, I thank you for a God who makes all things new. That we don't have to settle for a hemi-down. We don't have to settle for second rate. But you will give us the new wine Daily, God, I'm asking for a deluge of the new wine right now in the name of Jesus. A flood, an intoxication of the new wine now. And let there be obvious, tangible, visible zeal on the other side of this moment. God, we don't want just another Christian kumbaya experience. We don't want just another church service where we felt a goosebump. I got convicted, but my life didn't look different. God, let it look different. Give them a different vision. God, where they once operated in apathy, God, give them zeal. I command zeal. Amen, amen. Hey, if you need, listen to me. If your hand was up and you need to come to this altar, I want you to come to this altar right now. 
Pastor released it. Pastor just told me, if you want to come to this altar, some of you need to get out of your seat right now and come to this altar. Come on, come forward. Sometimes there's this physical thing that when we step out in a moment of obedience, God begins to honor our obedience. Come on, if you need a fresh touch this morning, come on, if your hand was up, if your hand was up, I'd encourage you to come right now in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. This is Revival Sundays. You know what? You know a story about the Welsh Revival? The story about the Welsh Revival. This man heard about the Welsh Revival and he flew over to Wales. He wanted to be a part of it, but he had no idea where it was taking place. And they, he got on to the whale soil, and he went there, and he asked the first person he found. He says, hey, I heard there's a revival taking place here. Where might I find it? And you know what the man said? He said, walk that way until you start to feel it. He said, you just start walking that way, and you'll know it because you'll feel it. That's the power of God. That's the stuff we're contending for. I'm not just talking about a better understanding and untying some theological knots. I'm talking about a God who invokes trembling. I'm talking about a God who in his presence, there is fullness of joy. You can feel it when he shows up. I'm talking about the manifest presence of God. Let's pack in here. Come on. Let's get in here. Let's get in here. I don't want people to get stuck in the aisle. Come on. Come on. Come on. Let's pack it in here. As people are coming, I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you right now for a fresh touch. Lord, I thank you for a fresh anointing right now in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, fall now in the name of Jesus. Be filled with the Holy Ghost. Be filled with the new wine right now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus right now. Be filled. Be filled. Be filled right now in the name of Jesus. A fresh touch, God. Fresh fresh, fresh now in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, fresh, fresh now in the name of Jesus, fill him fresh God, fill him fresh Lord, right now in the name of Jesus, I thank you that the power of the Holy Ghost is moving through this place, I thank you that the power of the Holy Spirit floods this place right now in the name of Jesus, uproot the vegetable God, and give us our vineyard back. Give us our vineyard back. Give us our inheritance back. We're not here for convenience. We're here for an inheritance. God, give us our inheritance back. Give us the precious Holy Spirit back right now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you right now for every hand, every heart, every family represented. God, I thank you that there will be a genuine difference on the other side of this Sunday. This isn't just another moment. This is a monument. That's what I heard the Lord say. This is a monument. You're going to look back on today and go, that was the day. That was the day. And listen to me. I encourage you, wake up every day and ask God for the new wine. Don't just live off of what happened today. Use today as a formula. Use today as a cheat code to say, God, I'm asking for a fresh touch for what I've got to deal with today. And we thank you for it right now. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.